Hey friends, I'm Stacy, And I'm Melissa. And we're teaming up each month to chat about books. What makes our podcast a little different is that we want to encourage your curiosity beyond the book. So how will we do that? In addition to discussing the themes, characters, and a review of the book, we will also discuss what the book taught us and how it inspired our curiosity well after the story finished. Now, let's get on with our episode. Reader Podcast. I want to start by saying that if you like this podcast, please review us on Podbean or in your favorite podcasting app. Your likes and reviews help us greatly and they help others find our program. We really enjoy doing it and we want to keep it going. So if you enjoy what we have to say, please let us know and tell your friends. And you can reach us on Twitter at the Curious Reader GPL. The GPL stands for Gosstown Public Library. So now before we begin our podcast, uh, I want to bring to your attention that the book we are discussing today has some pretty strong, darker topics that may be best uh, for the older teen audience. Um, so just keep that in mind as you listen or if you choose to pick up this book for your own reading curiosity. And I'm going to dive right in here. Uh, this month, Melissa and I read Orson Scott Card's young adult book, Lost and Found. Um, now, many may recognize the author's name because he is an American author known particularly for his science fiction writing, and most notably, the Ender's Game series. I recognize his name, but I have never read Ender's Game. Have you, Melissa? No, I haven't. It's one of the requ required reading books for our 10th graders at Goffstown High School, so I guess I probably should read it. I've read most of our books here, but... Not that one. Not It's not really a genre that I go to. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I wonder actually how many books on that high school reading list um, that I have read. So I may need to check into that. Uh, but on to our book today. The main character is Ezekiel Blast. He has the uncanny ability to find lost things. And all I could think about was the movie The Sixth Sense, when the character Cole says, I see dead people. Well... Ezekiel sees lost things, and he has a strong pull to connect those lost things to the people that lost them. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, one attempt to reunite someone with their lost item left Ezekiel beaten up. Because honestly, how does one explain, I, I found your lost bike, and I knew to bring it to you because I have a micropower. <laughs> the only explainable answer to everyone is that, well, Ezekiel stole it. So... Those lost scrunchies, hair ties, toys, and other items that Ezekiel tries to return only garner him the reputation of a thief. And after several interrogations by the police, interactions with school officials, and just the students around him, Ezekiel has built up a tough, snarky, kind of jerkish personality. He's a loner, and he's pretty distrustful of most adults and people in general. Oh, and he has also decided to tamper down finding lost objects, you know, because it, it just gets him into trouble. Um, so he decides to just pass them by, even though it causes him anxiety to do so. That's actually a shame where you have uh, an ability and you have to push it aside. That's really sad. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's kind of the backdrop to the story yeah. that, you know, um, yeah, that is sad. Ugh. So one day on his way to school. 
Ezekiel's lone man routine is interrupted by a blunt, talkative, and equally a snarky girl named Beth. Beth has her own reasons for wanting to befriend Ezekiel, and, and I'm not really even sure in the beginning it's really to befriend Ezekiel. She, she mainly wants to walk with him to keep her protected from um, the bullying that she receives because of how short she is. She looks more like a six-year-old than a 14-year-old. And soon Ezekiel finds that Beth's presence helps him not notice how anxious he feels as he's passing by those lost items um, when he's walking to school and then he chooses not to do anything with. So now that we've established Ezekiel and Beth, some main characters in our book, let's enter Detective Shank. He is searching for a missing little girl and he asks for Ezekiel's assistance. Uh, Ezekiel is adamant that his abilities do not work on finding lost humans, just things, items. But with Beth's encouragement, plus the nudging from the group of rare and useless talents, a scientific work group that Ezekiel has joined with other kids that are learning and dissecting uh, the management of their micropowers, Ezekiel decides to try to put his ability to working some good and learning a bit more about what he can and can't do. So Ezekiel chooses to help Detective Shank in locating the missing little girl. And soon, another girl goes missing. And this time, it's Beth. So Melissa, I'm going to take a break for a moment. That's kind of the synopsis of the book right there. And I'm going to give you a chance to tell us uh, what themes we could have talked about and the three that you chose. And then we'll move on to uh, my opinions, which is actually a new part of the series. I don't usually give my opinions in this way, but I do have some opinions and thoughts on this book. Okay. So each week I list topics that are based in reality with the hope that I find some meaty ideas to explore. And I actually started to research a few this week that I decided not to include. I looked Mm. for things more interesting um, and things that I think people can relate to better than what I first started looking into. Uh, I went in many directions before settling on the three that I want to share with you today. Mm -hmm. My potential topics list included dwarfism, which actually became one of my... Uh, topics to research, kidnapping, the Copyright Act, psychics, micropowers, which is another topic for Mm -hmm. today, FBI agents, the police, butchers. (laughs) (laughs) My great-grandfather was actually a butcher. Um, Shame, which is our third topic for for today, cafeteria food, foster care, driving, the ADA, loneliness, rescue, friendship, surrogates, and orphans, as always. There were a lot of topics. Those are a lot of topics. Um, so, folks, this book was hard for me. <laughs> you are going to be surprised. I did not love it. I know. I know. I'm always like, I love this book. I love, but I did not love this one. You know, I felt like it started out as um, like a, a take on the X-Men. I don't know. And then it morphed into Law and Order SVU. The, the writing style was indicative of a middle school book. But then the plot concept bordered on something that is really, I think, more adult in nature. Um, I enjoyed the snarky banter back and forth between Ezekiel and Beth. Their dialogue was snappy, and it was playful in a smart, sarcastic way. And that was my favorite part of the book. I also found that the other group members and their micropowers were pretty funny. Uh, one boy has the power to eliminate smells. Uh, for example, when he walks into a room, you know, that has a pretty bad smell, like let's say a bathroom, <laughs> uh, his skin automatically counters that smell and makes it, I guess, more enjoyable or, or takes it away. Um, he's like an air freshener. 
One of the girls can make people yawn, like huge yawns that make your eyes tear up and actually hurt your jaw. And and then the micro power of knowing if someone has an innie or outie uh, belly button without even um, seeing it. That is, I think, the um, the adult that actually leads the group. That's their superpower or micro power, actually. Um, so all of these are pretty comical, funny, very lighthearted. I laughed at how Ezekiel would try to twist someone's name in a humorous kind of juvenile way. I'm grabbing the book here because I wanted to find a part in the book. I don't know why. These things kind of cracked me up. So these were the funny things that I did find. Uh, So he sees the school guidance counselor, and her last name is Banerjee. And he says things like, you know, so when these names pop in his head. He starts going over like, well, maybe this is their name. This is their name. This is their name. So, you know, she, he went things like G3PO, Banjerwalkie, you know, Star Wars was part of that thing. Banshee. And that's what he actually ended up keeping for her name and Banner Jeep. So, you know, these are just funny things that I found that Ezekiel did that I did enjoy in this book. Well, and that's, that's very middle school. It is. Um, yeah. And, yeah, to me, it didn't match some of the darker things. Um, and I yeah. love I love books for little kids, and I mm-hmm. love books for ad- I love all kinds of books. But it seemed like this had lots of books mashed together. Lots yeah. of different age groups were the focus or the audience. Were the uh, and, and it just yeah, it just didn't connect for me. And I was a little like, hmm, I really think there could have been a different a different plot. But that's just me. I, I don't know. So, like you said, all of this was late middle school, early high school type of humor. And then the missing girls plot concept is just dark and sinister. I don't know. I I don't have another word for it. Just very adult. So I struggle to get past it. Uh, I will say the author does not go into detail about these uh, kidnappers, except for, you know, in too much detail, except for what they are in the business of kidnapping for. And then, you know, maybe um, introducing them a little bit. But there's not... um, action, so to speak, of what their business is. Um, But it's still enough for me to just feel like the book was disjointed. So, sorry, listeners, I bet you never thought you would hear this from me. But this book fell flat. I just didn't do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually did enjoy this book, but um, I I was not sure who the audience was, like I said. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not enjoy this as a book for teens. I will not be recommending it to my teens so teens out there listening if you feel like you like Law and Order SVU and and Mm -hmm. things with darker themes this may be for you Um, but I will not be recommending it to to most of my uh, students so while the writing style seemed middle school level at first with some of those snarky quips Mm -hmm. and and, um, I definitely think the writer got in the head of a middle schooler with you know making up names and things like that the dark concepts just don't fit that in my mind I also think they were not handled delicately enough for most of my high schoolers Mm. Um, but I did think that the pace of the book was good kept me um, going and I enjoyed the relationships. I liked the friendship that blossomed between Beth and Ezekiel. I loved Ezekiel's relationship with his dad and also the father-like figure of Lieutenant Shank. Mm -hmm. Um, I also tend to like books about outsiders who find themselves. So that did hit the mark for me. 
Um, while we usually don't give our opinions on books, I think that this one calls for yeah. it. Um, we need to provide a trigger warning. It is dark. If I had been the editor of this book, I would have asked the writer to refocus the story on Shank and to make it a book for adults. I, too, think it is more fitting for something like Law & Order SVU. Yeah. So if I was to pick bits and pieces that worked, then I would agree that I enjoyed the relationship between Ezekiel and Beth as well. And also while Ezekiel is cautious and puts up walls around people, he had some positive role models and influences in this book that helped him dismantle those walls. And I, and I think I failed to mention that Ezekiel's mother died when he was young, and that is part of the backstory um, in this um and it was great to see the positive influence of Ezekiel's father. And I liked how his father was not afraid to show emotion and bear his soul about how he loved his wife and how he misses her. And then also how proud he is of his son. Uh, the person in charge of the group of rare and useless talents encouraged the kids to find their purpose. And then, of course, Detective Shank was the first member of law enforcement that was not looking to make things difficult or place blame on Ezekiel. Uh, he didn't let the police reports, rumors, or reputation influence his thought. He just took the time to meet uh, Ezekiel where he was at, and he recognized how others had failed him, and, and he accepted him as he was. And so um, those relationships were worthwhile. And I will end on this. Even though this book was not a big beating emoji heart for me, there is still a benefit to reading it for some um, it did bring out new curiosities, such as our three themes, uh, which I can't wait to dive into. But I also, too, uh, agree that this would not be a book that I will be pulling off the shelf to hand somebody who says that they like mysteries or um, even um, speculative fiction as far as, like, micropowers and stuff go. I don't, I don't think this was a book that I would just pull and be like, hey, you love this one. Um, but anyway, so without further ado... Let's introduce uh, item number one, Melissa. Okay, so theme number one is dwarfism. And I go a lot into medical stuff here because I found this really fascinating and I really learned quite a bit um, and some things that surprised me. So I think this theme is important to understand our Beth character. And I'm thinking way back to our first book, The Silence mm -hmm. Between Us, when understanding deaf culture was so important to our understanding of the book. Um, and this is, this is my criticism of the book if you're mm -hmm. reading it as an adult. While Orson Scott Card seemed to only use Beth's size as a tool to explain why she was kidnapped and how she saved herself and to talk about her relationship with Ezekiel, I think the book would have been stronger if Beth's diversity was explored more, especially mm -hmm. today, um, where diversity is such a big part of our literature. Um, a diverse character should be more than a plot tool, I think. I like this book very much, but but that's that that might be my main criticism besides what we've talked about so yeah. far. Um, it's great to see more and more diverse characters in books, but I wanted more information here. Though maybe seeing a diverse character normalizes the condition and no more information's needed? I don't know. I guess I'm torn, Stacey. What are your thoughts on this? Agree? Disagree? Yeah, so I think um, using the proportionate dwarf uh, fit what he needed for the character to make the plot work. That's really what I think it is. Um, it was very surface-level information, enough for the reader to get a picture of the character and what was going on. I think the micropowers and who has them was more of the focus here uh, outside of the very strange plot 
yeah, I, I know. I can't get over the plot, can what I? I so really sorry. think. <laughs> All right, I'll just I'll just accept that um, we glossed over this yeah. diversity issue. Um, Orson Scott Card didn't misrepresent her diversity in any way, and I think he no. was respectful. Yeah. Um, so the character tells us that she is a proportionate dwarf, which means that she looks like a child. She is small, but she has arms, limbs, and body in a standard ratio as we generally view human proportions. Beth tells us on page eight that she has growth hormone deficiency, which is also known as pituitary dwarfism. Now, my my ears went up when I read about growth hormone deficiency because I actually know uh, kids who have this, huh. and I didn't realize it was a kind of dwarfism. So that's that's one reason why yeah. I jumped all over this. According to the Mayo Clinic, a body is proportionately small if all parts of the body are small to the same degree and appear to be proportioned like a body of average stature. Medical conditions present at birth or are appearing in early childhood to limit overall growth and development. It goes on to state that growth hormone deficiency is a relatively common cause of proportionate dwarfism. Um, which again, I I know a lot of kids of short stature mm. who have who have this issue, um, and you probably do too more than you more than you realize. Yeah. This condition occurs when the pituitary gland fails to produce an adequate supply of growth hormone, which is essential for normal childhood growth. And the signs of this condition include height below the third percentile on standard pediatric growth charts growth rate slower than expected for age, and delayed or no sexual development during the teen years. Okay. The cause of growth hormone deficiency can sometimes be traced to a genetic mutation or injury, but for most people with the disorder, no cause can be identified. Hmm. So according to the Magic Foundation, which is a site that supports endocrine health, which is hormones, mm -hmm. um, and provides information about dwarfism, Children with growth hormone deficiency or proportionate dwarfism benefit from hormone replacement therapy to help them grow until their growth plates fuse. These come in the form of injections. The earlier a child is diagnosed with this, the better a pediatric endocrinologist can help them grow and gain weight through this therapy. Huh. There can be long-term metabolic complications that require therapy into adulthood. Lack of therapy can lead to decreased bone mass, lean body mass, decreased cardiovascular health, and more. And this was another mm. thing I was wondering as I was reading, like, why didn't they catch this condition in, in Beth? Was she going through treatments that she had to stop because of something that happened to right. her mother? Um, or was she not diagnosed? Um, and that, that bothered me. Yeah. Yeah, I can... You know, now seeing some of that information, yeah, I can see where that's like, okay, why wasn't this explored? At least just a little bit yeah, in the story. Exactly. So then there's another condition with which um, many of us may be more familiar, maybe not uh, more familiar in that we've, we know about these uh, people out there. Um, this is called aconodroplasia, which I probably totally messed up, but it's a genetic mutation that's sometimes hereditary, but not always. This mutation causes what is known as disproportionate dwarfism, where growth protein slows down and causes abnormal development in growth plates. 
It often causes numerous health issues such as bowed legs, curved spine, and flat feet that can cause mm. pain and other health problems. This is not what Beth has been diagnosed with, but I think it's important to know about this form as well. Yeah. Um, dwarfism is, recogn- is a recognized condition under the law called the American D- with Disabilities Act, and, sh- and Beth mentions that briefly at some point in the book. Um, this law helps prevent workplace discrimination against people with disabilities. But like we learned way back last September with deafness, some people in the dwarf community do not consider what they are living with to be a disability. Mm-hmm. Certainly the health problems some in this community have could be considered a disability, but there are also access issues such as difficulty reaching door handles. Yep. Um, it's interesting to consider these access issues in other ways because I, I started thinking about you know people who want to be quote normal mm-hmm. and want and don't want their condition to make them appear different well a lot of us have those kinds of things so for example my husband bought a chainsaw the other day and was explaining how i can use it he paused and asked how i would hold it my dominant hand is my left one and it would bear the weight and he said oh never mind it's made for righties and this happens all the time ah. in my life um my leftiness would not be considered a disability, though it mm-hmm. often causes me issues like this. I also have a friend who's unusually tall. He needs to duck sometimes to get through spaces I never considered small or he'll smack his head. So I have a new phone and you might hear some music going off. I know. I was like, where's that music coming <laughs> it's from? It's very pretty, but I apologize. But my tall friend, <laughs> getting back to that, his height is not a disability. It's a difference. Um, it's something that makes up one aspect of who he is. Many people with a short stature want us to view what was once considered a, quote, handicap as just another difference. So I specifically looked for news articles to help me better understand people's experiences with this condition. Um, While I started with medical and association sites for a better understanding of the disease, news articles or human interest stories are often better for understanding the social impacts. So for those of you doing research, keep in mind that different kinds of sources give you different types of Mm -hmm. information. So when I wanted to hear about how people were dealing with this, I looked for direct quotes from them and news articles. So there were interesting quotes in a BBC article that also relates back to our discussion about deafness. It talked about operations and therapies that can help with height. The author interviewed a young lady named Jazz who said that she has never considered altering her height. Quote, I was born with this condition. I learned to walk with this condition. I learned to do everything with this condition. It's not something I separate from me. It's very much a part of my life, and I embrace that, and I would never change myself. Mm-hmm. End quote. So finally, I want listeners, listeners to know that today we refer to people with dwarfism as little people or people with short stature rather than as dwarves or midget which is considered offensive. It harkens back to days of old freak shows when short-statured people were put on exhibits for amusement, Mm -hmm. such as in P.T. Barnum's circus. Words change over time. There may be new words in the future for uh, this condition. Um, It's important to reflect new understandings, and this is a good example of that. So first of all, I love um, I love the quote that you found um, that Jazz, you, you know, explained that it's very much part of my life and I embrace that and I would never change myself. And I think that that's really empowering. I think more people need to hear that type of um, thought process and that t- those types of things. And so 
And then the example that you give of a changing, um, it's a great example. I also think people make fun and say things because they lack an understanding and are insecure of themselves sometimes for whatever reason. Um, and, the, and you feed into fixed or predictable patterns of behavior that may have been passed down to you. Uh, you know, you, you may have heard the these words and, and you just continue to use them because that's what your family used. Um, but when presented with information like we have here, Melissa, hopefully it causes someone to pause and open their mind to a new way of thinking and relating to others and realizing how our words do affect people and how they change with the times. So I just had a thought yeah. about one time when my grandmother, when I was very young, called a friend of mine who um, couldn't hear mm-hmm. um, deaf and dumb. She referred to, and and she couldn't, I was about 11, I guess, and she couldn't understand why I was so upset. So we have to be understanding of people who have used Mm -hmm. those words too, that, that um, they're part of um, what, what they grew, grew up with. And maybe just, it's a matter of informing and educating. Exactly. In a respectable way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, all right. So we're going to move on to theme number two, which is shame. So sometimes there's a line in a book that sets off bells in my head. I'm sure you all have that, right? So in this book, it came near the end on page 324. And it says, quote, when people treat you like you're guilty, then you feel the shame just as if you were. Shame is what other people force on you. So throughout the book, we feel Ezekiel's pain. We feel his shame. We see the shame he feels and his anger over it. We really feel that anger strongly in this book. People accuse him of being a thief, stealing items so he can look like a hero when he returns them to their rightful owner. Mm -hmm. He has tried to help others, and instead he's ostracized and not trusted, and it's because he's he's different. Mm I would not have defined it as shame until he defined it that way, but it is brilliant and made me think about an event in my own life that I want to share with you. So it is something that has caused me what I will now define as a deep shame. And when I think about it now, it still hurts me. It was Mm -hmm. so hurtful at the time. And it seems like a little thing maybe when you hear it, but um, it's something that stuck with me. So in fifth grade, most of my class went on a three-day field trip to Washington, D.C., A handful of students like myself did not get to go for whatever reason. As the trip was occurring during the school week, we were expected to go to school. The few of us non-trip goers were split into different classrooms among different uh, fifth Hmm. and fourth grade teachers, as I remember it. But we were allowed to walk to our own classroom to retrieve things from our desk when needed. So I decided to make a welcome back card for my class on the last day. I thought all of us who remained could sign it and everyone would be happy. I loved that class. I thought we were a good community and I valued my teacher and my fellow students. This Mm -hmm. teacher is one who I still remember as one of my very, very favorite teachers. Um, So I drew a picture. I signed my name. And then on one of these times, I went back to the classroom. I put it on the teacher's desk. Um, thinking that I would tell the others in other classes about it at at recess so they could sign too. One of the boys went into the classroom during one of his jaunts in there, and he saw the card before I could tell the other students that my intention was that they would sign it too. And he called me out on it and called me names like Goody Two Shoes. I have always wanted to do right by people. I am, I'll admit, a bit of a do-gooder. No one should feel shame mm-hmm. over wanting others to feel good and to be part of something. But I, I really, truly did. My intention was misconstrued, and yet I felt deep shame, so much so 
that I felt like an outsider, very much like Ezekiel, and it affected me deeply. And I have never, ever forgotten that incident. You know, that memory makes me want to cry, Melissa. <laughs> uh, in, but this is an importance of being able to relate to characters that we discover in books. Um, there's an emotional depth, and people can connect their own personal experiences, as you did here, to a character in the book. And maybe growth um, or things that the character does helps bring some relief, closure, or a new perspective for the reader. Um, and, and that's a great benefit of reading. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Fiction. One of so. maybe the great mm-hmm. benefit of reading. So empathy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, a New York Times article that I recently read stated that in a guilt culture, you know, you are good or bad by what your conscience feels. In a shame culture, you know, you are good or bad by what your community says about you, by whether it honors or excludes mm. you. And as a community here at Goffstown High School, if my students are listening, I want you to think about that. You have the power to make your community. What do you want it to be? Mm-hmm. And how do you want to treat people? We want a sense of belonging here. Um, So you may feel guilt over a particular act and you may feel shame about yourself, either because of the act or because of other circumstances. As Ezekiel says, quote, shame is what other people force on you, end quote. Ezekiel felt different because of how he was treated. He felt like an outcast and felt shame because people mistrusted him and made him feel different. An article entitled The Psychological Impact of Being Wrongfully Accused of Criminal Offenses, a Systematic Literature Review, whoo, that's a mouthful, (laughs) found some common issues among people who are accused of things they didn't Mm. do. These include changes in personality, such as increased anxiety, hypervigilant, and decreased self-esteem. Mental health is negatively affected, leading to depression and other related issues. Relationships are strained. And finally, many feel stigmatized. So think of some of the people Mm -hmm. in our society with problems and think of how many of the problems might come internally, but how many of them are put on them, too. Yeah. Here's an interesting quote that relates specifically to what Ezekiel said about this issue. Quote, as well as a stigma from others, uh, studies suggested that self-stigma from within the individuals themselves was also a concern. This was due to a combination of abhorrence at what they had been accused of and their inability to clear their name fully. End quote. Some people blame themselves for the accusation. Some feel they want to fight it. And this alternates with wanting to isolate themselves. Feelings of shame, blame, and guilt are tightly wound together. So one of the key findings of this article is that those who are wrongfully accused benefit from support groups. So uh, Orson Scott Card did a very good job of putting one in there. Um, This was his micropower group. I always forget the name of that group. Um, I think they changed that. Like, it started out as the the one I keep saying the, um, I I can't find where it is, but the unusual whatever. But then I think they kind of the group itself within the story decided to change the name, but I'm sticking with that. Yeah. And it, and it confused one. me. So I'm just yeah. going to call them the micropower group. <laughs> the Ezekiel tended this group and it was a great step toward understanding his skills, but it also served to reduce that unnecessary mm-hmm. shame. Um, Ezekiel found some acceptance in a way to redeem himself in his own mind. Um, so renowned author Brene Brown, which some of you may have heard of, discusses how shame is something we tell ourselves, and it comes from an idea that we are unworthy of love because we are flawed. 
This disconnection from the world is harmful to ourselves and might even cause us to be harmful to those around us. Mm. Beth truly changed Ezekiel's life because she reduced his shame and increased his own sense of self-worth. Mm. Brown states that shame does not help us find solutions. In other words, shame gets us stuck. In my view, when Ezekiel's shame was reduced, he was able to find some answers to problems and he became a better person for it. Mm-hmm. So the people around him really influenced him and helped him become a better yeah. person. Kind of going back to, to what you uh, talked about earlier, um, you know, you, you brought it with the psychological impact of being wrongfully accused and how um, things that people put on us cause a self-stigma within us. And, and you know, I think... It, not even just being wrongfully accused, but teens, I think you agree with me here. Teen years are a tough time. You're, you're starting to really figure out your identities and, um, yet you have increasing noise coming at you from everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So your friends are, um, that you hang out with are adding to your identity and, and they say things to you that you might internalize, um, the way teachers, coaches, employers might speak to you. And the words um, that they use might also add to this definition that you you put on yourself about your identity, um, and even things that your parents say. You know, and 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 we all sometimes put our foot in our mouth or say things that we wish they come out of our mouth and that we could pull them right back in. Right? I, I mean, I've done it, and I try to do a better job now at stopping for a second and really thinking: What do these words mean? How will that person? Is this really what I'm trying to say? Um, or, or am I using words that don't have the right connotation? And, and so I say this because all of that noise can be positive and beneficial, uh, but sometimes it's very, it's not, it's negative and it's inaccurate of who we are, um, and who you are as a teen. And because people's opinions really matter, um, especially to you teens, I think that you start to internalize, um, you know, those negative comments. I mean, I do, and I'm an adult. Uh, it takes root in my own negative self-talk about myself. And um, negative self-talk limits our ability to reach our full potential. And I think this played out with Ezekiel until he found people that gave him new thoughts about his purpose and accepted him as he was. Um, his self-talk turned positive because he had people that fed him with positivity. And I, I want to add, because I was thinking of this as as you were just talking, that mm-hmm. um, if something comes out of your mouth that you want to take back, yeah. apologize, apologize for it. There's yeah. nothing wrong. Just, it, you're right. Yeah. You know, I do that with um, with my boys. Sometimes I, and then I turn right to them and I'm like, ugh, that's not what I meant to say. And I'm really sorry. You know, I'm working. And, and I explain to them, you know, I'm working on it. Um, I'm working on trying to choose better words or to stop first and really think about the message I want to send across. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're yeah. always learning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, I would love to have people share their thoughts with us on Twitter about this one. Um, I want to know, have you ever falsely been accused of something that has made you mm. feel shame? Um, or have you made others feel shame and you want to take it back? Yeah. So um, we're going to move on to theme three now and More get uplifting. a little lighthearted because <laughs> our first two themes were were deep and <laughs> but but important I think but oh, definitely for important sure. Right? for sure but yeah. we need a little entertainment yeah fun um, so at least um, 
I said at least it's more f- the most fun to research, but I think it's the most fun for sure. Um, <laughs> while the power of returning lost objects to their owners may not be real, some people do have remarkable abilities. And I'm going to tell you about a few of the abilities that I found, which have actually been confirmed by science, because there are a lot of articles out there about um, people who claim they have powers mm-hmm. that have been debunked by science, which are kind of fun too. But I want to show you the real ones to make you say, wow, just like Stacey yeah, just did. I just went, wow. <laughs> so I started by thinking that um, micropowers, quote, micropowers are not a thing. And I actually looked up the word micropowers. I think mm. Orson Scott Card made that up, yeah. but it, it's kind of a cool term. But then I realized uh, that micropowers are real. Um, uh, so I'm going to start with one called and here's a word again I'm going to mispronounce, hyperthymesia, or H-S-A-M, or highly superior autobiographical memory, because it's fascinating. The most famous person who has this is actress Mary Lou mm. Henner, who was on the show Taxi way back in the 70s. Um, she's very well known. She's able to recall every moment, every moment of her life in tremendous detail. This includes the script she has read, which is a remarkable advantage for an actress. (laughs) This condition, this H-S-A-M, is really interesting on many levels. But one thing that stood out to me is that Mary Lou Henner's friends say there is no point in arguing about past events with her because she remembers everything. I kind of wish I had this power because I would would use it on my husband. I imagine, though, that this could be really frustrating for those around her. And I also imagine her high levels of stress as someone who has this ability, because you never forget things both good and bad. Mm. It must make it very difficult to get over trauma, for example. Scientists are studying how this can be, how this micropower, I'm going to call it that, works, um, and have discovered that there are differences in the white matter in the brains of people with huh. HSAM. However, they are not sure yet if this is a genetic difference or if it relates to something environmental. Some scientists wonder if something has happened to people with this condition in early life to help them train their brains this way, to develop that white matter and the connections that allow for this recall. Interesting. I wonder if there's anyone in her, like, in her family that she recognizes also had it, or oh. even just like in, in, back in her ancestry line or I don't know. That's interesting. Hmm. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> um, so, so that's one power, this brain power. Yes. Then there's another remarkable person who uses her sense of smell. Um, she can detect when someone has Parkinson's disease wow. in particular, and it's interesting to know how she discovered her ability. Her name is Joyce Milne, and she's able to detect a musty odor um, emanating from Parkinson's patients. So she first discovered this when she smelled the odor on her husband and thought he was not washing, talking about being accused of something. <laughs> I know. Oh. Um, but he was later diagnosed with Parkinson's. Ms. Milne detected the odor before he was diagnosed. Um, she, she, but then she started smelling it on other patients and realized there was something unusual with her sense of smell and mentioned it to doctors, hmm. who then confirmed that she can smell the disease. Wow. 
So scientists are working to quantify it, meaning they're trying to make the smell a measurable characteristic in Parkinson's patients so they too can detect the disease because it's very hard to detect, apparently. One result of Ms. Milne's unusual ability is a program that's training dogs to smell Parkinson's. According to a National Geographic article, there are other things that have smells too. So diabetes can make your urine smell like rotten apples, apparently. Typhoid makes your body odor smell like baked bread. And yellow fever can make someone smell like a butcher shop. There's a butcher theme here today. The typhoid, though, baked bread, that's like a terrible disease, but that's not a bad smell. (laughs) Um, So some scientists think we could actually all learn to smell these six smells. So imagine your husband has this new smell. Um, I don't know. I'd be like, we'll all be running to Google for things like that. He smells like, smells like, smell, <laughs> I smell this, I smell that. Oh my gosh, you have this. I don't know. This could get us into trouble. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Let's just move on. So another fascinating ability, and this one involves eyesight, is the ability of a tectro tetrachromat who can see more colors than the average person. This is because tetrachromats have four cones in their eyes rather than three, as most people have. People with color blindness only have two cones mm-hmm. in their eyes. So there's a woman named Conchetta Antica, Antico, um, who is an artist with this condition who's been studied extensively and also has been able to show those of us without vision superpowers some of what she sees through her art. Scientists have been able to confirm that she sees differently through tests involving different mixtures of paint. So they'll mix up different pi- mixtures of paint and mm. just change it a little bit. And she'll be able to see that they're different colors. I'd not be able to distinguish the subtle differences, but a tetrachromat can most definitely judge when different amounts of paints are stirred together. So just like Mary Lou Henner's memory that helps with her um, lines as an actress, Antico's ability helps her create vibrant art. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like Henner, the superpower can also be a it curse. Mm-hmm. Antico says that certain lighting conditions and colors actually hurt her eyes. Wow. Oh. So then there is Wim Hof who has the ability to tolerate extreme cold. He holds the Guinness World Record for taking an ice bath bath for almost two hours. Okay, why, why would you even want to take an ice bath for almost two hours? I guess you get in the Guinness book, but uh, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> and then I, I wonder, you know, he, if he can go for two hours, why can't he go longer? Did he right. just get bored and say, okay, time to get okay. out? Yeah. I'm wrinkled. Know. I don't know. Um, so Hoff has trained himself to adjust the thermoregulatory areas of the brain to drive heat throughout his body. Um, and scientists have learned that Hoff also increases the hormones in his brain that make him more able to to tolerate discomfort of any sort by creating a euphoria with these hormones. Um, Scientists have studied his brain using an MRI and they have put him in a special suit to help better understand this skill. Hoff claims that anyone can train themselves to do this through meditation and special breathing. And in fact, monks have also been examined by doctors as they meditate to examine their different psychological, uh, physiological Mm. changes that occur. Um, These include the creation of body heat. So in one test, they wrapped the monks in wet sheets and had them emanate heat to dry them. (laughs) No. (laughs) There's a picture of it. There's a picture of it on our Pinterest. So and all of this information today, just to remind you, is on our Pinterest Pinterest page. Um, I was reading about Hoff and and I 
meditate or I used to meditate more. And I remembered reading about these monks. And I, I said, well, you know, he's he has a special thing, but he's not the only one. I know he's not the only wow. one. So, um, and then finally, another superpower that one can apparently train is echolocation. Some blind people actually do train others to do this. So <laughs> clicking like allows those skilled in this area to hear echoes that help them better understand their surroundings. So this was remarkable. In one video that I watched that's on Pinterest, a blind man was brought to a place he had never been, and he clicked to, to determine that he was actually in a park surrounded by two fences, not just one, and houses with trees on one side, and there was a slide in the park. And he could tell, I watched him tell that it was a slide because of how the clicks were bouncing off, he knew it was not just a regular shaped object. And it was amazing. Wow. So he never touched the objects. He just clicked. Um, and he's learned to do this. They implied that he learned to do this on his own. He learned how the clicks echo to determine the height and the shapes of the objects. And a neuroscientist in the UK um, provided information about experiments he's run to better understand this amazing ability. Um, I still have this little thing in my head that says, this isn't real, this isn't real, but I... Uh, well, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Cool. But backed by science, so I... Wow. So we know that people who can't hear mm -hmm. have a heightened sense of sight. We yeah. discovered that a year ago yep. when our first podcast. So people who can't see have a heightened sense of hearing. So the yeah. click echoes, it, it makes sense. Wow. For sure. So, in fact, I read about an MIT scientist who claims that everyone has superpowers. Um, and in the book Lost and Found, those in Ezekiel's group are working to fine-tune their powers. Mm -hmm. And Beth is encouraged to find hers. The general idea of this is realistic when compared to the examples I've provided here. But I'm still pretty sure no one can find people who have lost their things just by touching the yeah. objects. So uh, as soon as you mentioned um, Mary Lou Henner, I actually remember watching an interview with her and, and her talking about her ability to recollect things that have happened in the past in great detail. Uh, and so and you're right. I think the book was implying in some way that many people have their own micro powers. Um, and it seems that by the end of the book, many of our characters were contemplating um, if they had micropowers, so like, you know, Ezekiel's dad, even Detective Shank. Uh, and in the shower this morning, I was wondering if I had a micropower, <laughs> but I don't think so. <laughs> and then I tried to imagine, well, if I did, what would I want? And I came up with nothing. I don't know. I mean, they're not creative, or I, but I'm going to have to ponder this more. So, so. I, was, I was thinking, as I, I just said, that, you know, I kind of doubted the clicking. Yeah. Imagine if you were one of these people and that shame, that idea mm. of shame where people are doubting you all yeah. the time, even though scientists has, science has proven this. Mm. So I take it back. Yeah. I don't doubt it. I, yeah. I've read and yep, I... Yep, yep, yep. That's, <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. And But our world is amazing, I think. So, um, I, Yeah. So we are coming to the end of our podcast, and, it, and it's funny because each month I sit down to hash out what I want to say, and I always think, oh, we might not have enough to talk about. But lo and behold, that never seems to be a problem. <laughs> asking, <laughs> questions, asking questions That's always it. gives yes. you things to explore. Either that or my micropower is actually the ability to just have on and on and on. <laughs> well, and that too. <laughs> 
So thank you, listeners, for tuning in to all our chatter. The Curious Reader Podcast can be found on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even for free on audible.com. So download an episode or two or three. And remember, liking and subscribing helps others discover this podcast. So please click that little heart or give us a thumbs up to share the love of reading. Yes. So Melissa and I will be back next month, and we have a book that is perfect for the back-to-school season. So we are going to explore a contemporary teen book that is a hilarious and thought-provoking read about a bookworm who finds a way to fight back when her school bans dozens of classic and meaningful books. Clara Evans is horrified when she discovers her principal's prohibited media hit list. Books like Eleanor and Park. The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Their Eyes Were Watching God are just some of the iconic books that have been pulled from that library and aren't allowed anywhere on the school's premises. Students caught with the contraband will be sternly punished. What can Clara do? Clara can fight back. So come join us next month when we discuss Suggested Reading by Dave Conis, a book that explores the power of the written word, the danger of censorship, and the way stories connect all of us. Melissa, I think we will have a lot of great themes to choose from for that book. I think so, too. One of my favorite topics. So thank you for listening. And remember, the curious reader seeks understanding beyond the book.